This is Mark Fletcher, and welcome to my world. Welcome to Southern Tales, Tall and Otherwise. When you go into the dictionary... Or on the internet, as we do today, we didn't used to. We had a world book encyclopedia that we had 58 volumes of, plus a yearly update. But if you do now, you can look up secret societies. Alan Axelrod, in the International Encyclopedia of of Secret Societies and Fraternal Orders, defines a secret society as an organization that is exclusive, claims to own special secrets, shows a strong inclination to favor its members. Historian Richard Spence of the University of Idaho, that doesn't sound Southern, offered a similar three-pronged definition. The group's existence is usually not kept secret, but some beliefs or practices are concealed. You know, like that secret handshake that we have? The group promises superior status or knowledge to members, you know, the supreme secrets. And the group's membership is in some way restrictive, such as by race, sex, religious affiliation, or invitation only. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's called Rush. Fraternities at colleges in the South exhibited all of these traits, but included two more. Booze and girls. Yep, that was fraternities in the South in the 60s and 70s. Southern Tales, Episode 2, Joining a Fraternity. So, I know we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, and we've started off in elementary school, and next week we're going to be back in elementary school, but a lot of the crazy things that happened, happened during the college days uh, when we were at Memphis State. Um, Because we were everywhere. We were in Alabama, and we were certainly down in Oxford, and in Arkansas and Destin and um, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia. It was just crazy, the things that happened. So a lot of the tales are going to come from those days. So we're going to just give you a little start on how all that kind of started tonight. Um, and, and it started off with me getting to Memphis. Now, before we get started, I want to say you need to listen to episode one. I mean, pause this episode, go back, uh, get a- episode one. Because these stories, they're supposed to build, uh, gradually build a foundation about all these people and personalities and places. And this is eventually going to paint a picture 
of just crazy, stupid stuff. I mean, it's more than sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's life, death, and, and just, you know, it's growing up in the South in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, I've lived this life, heard these stories. I'm still here. Not everybody is. And, and so there may be some disputes about the actual facts. Hmm. But this is the way I remember it. And in my opinion, every goddamn word is true. So my longtime best friend, since third grade, I think, Brooks and I decided to go to Memphis State. Why? It was pretty logical, really. Most of our friends went to UT Martin. And I think the truth is mostly because it was close to home and they could come home every weekend and they could cruise a strip and, and, and drink beer in front of the high school girls, right? And, and there were a few of the guys and girls who went to the big UT in Knoxville, you know, the big UT. Uh, but shoot, that thing was like five or six hours away. Um, Brooks and I didn't want to come home every weekend. And we wanted to go somewhere close enough that if we did want to come home, we could. Um, it was our goal to get out of that little town and not return. As you will see, we both succeeded. Now, I say we've been friends since third grade. Um, back in those days, uh, his mom would bring him out to the sticks where I lived. And we would go out in this field. No kidding. It had, you know, just tall grass, almost like wheat, but it wasn't wheat. I don't know what you call it. It was weeds, I guess. And we would run around in this tall grass and pretend to be the Hardy Boys. There was no props. There was no explosions. There was no whistles or costumes or anything. Just me and Brooks making up these little dramas from the books that we read by Franklin W. Dixon called the Hardy Boys. And, I mean, yeah, we were sheltered. Um, there, it was impossible not to be sheltered in those days. Um, so we were also country and naive enough that living in a dorm crowded with city people and people from far away kind of scared us. And we convinced ourselves we should live in an apartment close to school. Almost a good idea. I think it's kind of like putting a screen door on a submarine. You know, that's almost a good idea too. Uh, and, and we knew there were differences between the country and the city. Some, I think we look forward to, you know. Uh, I remember one time when we were in high school, a bunch of us were somewhere up around Paris, Tennessee, uh, near Kentucky Lake, and I don't remember what, pro probably on some drunken mission to save the world. We had those missions pretty regular in high school. But anyway, we stopped at a little store somewhere up there, and really, most of the time when we were in high school, you stopped at a little store to see if they checked IDs. Um but while you're there, I mean, you might get some fried chicken or something. And, and at the counter, I think this place was called Ethel's. Or maybe it was next door to a redneck bar called Ethel's. E either way, it doesn't matter. At the counter, they had good old heat lamp chicken and tater logs. Most like everywhere else in the country. I mean, we lived on that stuff. And so I was at the counter... And I can't remember if they checked IDs or not, but the chicken seemed good. And so I looked under the heat lamp, and right there, boy, the pans are labeled in order from the register down. Chicken. Beautiful chicken. Potatoes. Uh, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it said taters. I, I, we usually said taters. The next heat lamp thing said corn dogs. 
The next one said crickets, and the last one said worms. You heard me right. All under the same heat lamp covering. I decided that I might not be quite as hungry as I thought. I think we probably just got some beer. But anyway, that was life in the country. I mean, you know, it's different from the big city, right? Uh, so Brooks and I, that summer before college started, went down and we finally found a place that we could afford. But we were going to have to work part-time jobs because, you know, our parents weren't rich and we were, you know, struggling. We were just your regular college kids of the late 70s. And we didn't know anything about Memphis and we really didn't know anything about good areas of town or bad areas of town. Um, unknowingly, because it fit our price range, we were not in a very good area of town. And um, we soon found out that there were rough places to live. And in the complex where we live, which is called Greenwich Square, which doesn't that sound really metropolitan and cool? Well, it wasn't. Um, it was pretty much your Section 8 housing, you know. A uh, lot of um, really nicer cars than we had. <laughs> and people lived pretty good, it seemed. Uh, and they didn't seem to go to work very often. Uh, and there was always a lot of activity going on. And the later at night, the more activity seemed to be going on out there. I mean, it was such a high-class place to, we, to live that the very first week, uh, somebody kicked in our back door while we were there. Pretty scary stuff. Um, I'm pretty sure we screamed like girls or, or like guys. I mean, who wouldn't scream? Um, we wound up buying locks and deadlock bars and alarm bars and chains and putting chairs and desks in front of the doors we weren't there. And one night, I was in my room playing guitar when I heard a car backfire. And then again and again and again, I hit the floor and laid spread eagle tight to the floor as I could possibly make my body for about 15 minutes until I finally saw blue lights flashing through the curtains on my window. I peeked out and saw cops everywhere and a white sheet over something right behind my car. Probably one of my neighbors. We knew we were moving into the dorm the next semester. So at, at the end of the semester, they have something called dead day. And it's a day where there's no classes and everyone is supposed to be studying before the start of exams the next day. Uh, professors are usually in their offices. And so I went to campus, allegedly to talk to my calculus professor, Meredith Poole. But on the way, I happened to drive by the sports complex and noticed some cars. And I thought, wow, why would the PE complex be open on dead day? It just doesn't seem right. I was curious enough to stop, and you'll soon learn that I'm pretty impulsive, and my impulse this day was to mosey on into the gym, and yeah, it's open for business, and guess what? Five or six guys playing basketball, and soon so was I. That place was usually packed, but on dead day, there wasn't many people there. I made a mental note for future um, dead days. Uh, you know, didn't have to wait. You're playing the whole time. And we did. We played all afternoon. There was one guy who was playing, was a bit older. I'm going to guess 30 or 35. Of course, when you're 18, he seems ancient. But he was a good guy and friendly and talking. It was fun to play. He was pretty good at basketball. And, and after we quit, he introduced himself as Henry Gross, and he was with a national fraternity. We, we talked for a while, but all I could think about 
was the night several years ago when I was 16 and my buddy and I, Sanders, drove to Jackson to see Henry Gross, another Henry Gross, play at a club called The Apple. Mama says she's tired again No one can even begin to tell her I hardly know what to say But maybe it's better that way If Papa So that Henry Gross, kind of known as a one-hit wonder now, but in those days, he had several good songs and records. He had one called Show Me to the Stage that was my favorite. And so, like I said, Sanders and I, who you'll meet in a future episode, there'll be a Sanders episode about really crazy stuff because we're 16. And we just got wheels, and we you know, stupid enough to think that we could drive to Jackson and get into the Apple and see Henry Gross. Anyway, stupid us, we weren't old enough to get in, but we realized that we could hear the music just fine outside. So we found some chairs on the back loading dock and listened to the show while we smoked some weed. I think we had some beer. It wasn't bad. After about an hour, we heard Henry say he's going to take a break. You know, when you tell the crowd you're going to take five and you come back in 20, and suddenly, he appeared outside with us on the loading dock. Dude, he was surprised to see us, and we were even more surprised to see him. He was like waving at you know his face. He's going, man, it was hot in there. I, I need to come out and get some fresh air. We didn't know what to say. And I said, you know, dude, we came to see you, but we're not old enough to get in. We love your music. We used to hear him on WKIR FM 104 on Jackson. And he was super cool. He was laid back. And then he asked, could he take a hit? Can you believe it? We couldn't get into the club, but we wound up smoking pot with Henry Gross. Well, wait a minute. That's not even the story. We're talking about the other Henry Gross, the one I played basketball with, who was a representative of a national fraternity. And he was cool. But anyway, we went home for the summer. I forgot all about it. Next fall, Brooks and I moved into the dorm. One day, he called and said, Hey, you guys come over to the frat house. 
I, I liked him. I didn't know anything about fraternities. So Brooks and I went over there, had a nice time, met some really good guys. It didn't take me long to figure out I, I liked that kind of life. Brooks, on the other hand, far more logical and in a lot of ways smarter than me. Um, he's trying to work out the whole cost-benefit ratio and figure out if the $35 monthly dues, um, how that broke down into beers per day, and was it a good deal. Um, I pledged, and he didn't. It was a small pledge class, only four of us, actually, because of an incident that had happened the spring before. Some of the guys decided to throw a night of lust party and invited the whole campus. Everyone paid a cover, and I guess it's guys, paid a cover to get in, and they had some strippers and dancers. And apparently they even had a hostess in a bedroom who gave private lessons for a fee. I'm guessing it wasn't uh, calculus, which is what I was thinking about. So they publicized the whole campus, the whole campus found out, including uh, the people who ran the place. And the fraternity was in trouble not only with the university, but with their national organization. Everybody was investigating. And the fraternity was in kind of an uproar. And so um, I became uh, really close to the president of the fraternity at that time. His name was Tom. And um, Tom's an interesting story because uh, Tom went on to become a state senator in Tennessee, but he was so obstinate and would always vote against everybody else. They'd have a lot of votes in the Senate was like, you know, 32 to 1. And it was always Tom, the one. They could vote on, do we like sunshine? And everybody would vote yes, except for Tom, who would always vote no. And eventually he lost his seat because the people who voted for him realized he couldn't get anything done because he was just such a butt. And you know what's sad? In today's world, he would fit in just fine. You know, he'd be one of the guys. Anyway... So all these investigations are going on. And so our fraternity sent the local area governor, or maybe it's the regional governor. I don't know. It's some dude who was over our area. So he grabbed Tom, the frat president, and for some reason me, as the pledged representative, and we went to London Transport, which was our favorite bar on the planet in those days. And that was so we could have a discussion. <laughs> So after about four pitchers of beer, maybe more, I don't really know, the discussion turned out to be just a list of names of all the frat brothers who involved with the Night of Lust. Now, those guys were all suspended, so I didn't know any of them. And so the governor, Tom Sabetta, would go down the list and ask me if I liked them or disliked them. I knew none of them, and... Like was going, yes, no, kind of even odd thing. Oh, he's a good guy. No, kick him out. He's a good guy. Kick him out. And I think actually Tom, the president, was kind of giving me hand signals probably. Anyway, we kicked out a bunch of guys I didn't know. So if you're one of the guys that got kicked out, dude, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know you. Later on, I met some of those guys, and I felt like crap because I was – anyway. Um, I'm thinking that the national fraternity did not pay – their local area governors, very much money. Because midway through the meeting, remember, we're in a bar full of people. Tom Sabata got really excited. And he's looking off across the floor where all these people are. And it's like, you know, six tables between us and the bar. 
and we were in a booth, and this dude gets down on his hands and knees. I, this is, I'm not exaggerating. I've been accused of that. He crawls under people and through tables and under chairs all the way across because he thinks he sees a dime on the floor. A dime. Did you hear what I said? A dime. Anyway, he came back really disappointed because it was only a pop-top or something. So we got done with the list, and he assured us that soon we would once again be known as the Gentleman's Christian Fraternity. But he had no idea what kind of crazy things we would do, and very little of it had anything to do with gentlemen or Christian values. Wait till y'all hear the crazy stuff that goes on in later episodes. For the liner notes to this episode and all episodes of the Southern Tales podcast, please go to broadneckmusic.com. Here you'll find out more about the episode, the mistakes that I made, and the corrections that I'd like to make, and how I'd like to say it if I really had the chance to say it again. You'll also find out a little bit more about our kick-ass theme music from T.R. Crooks, a little band from Paris, Tennessee. This was recorded in 1977. Our contact email address is stalespodcast at gmail.com. If you have questions, uh, comments, let me know. And if you have cool stories about growing up in the South, let me hear them. And maybe we can have some episodes of your stories. I'm wide open to it. And if we have enough questions in this season, we'll have a question and answer episode. Real quickly, tonight's sponsor is the Number one children's book for adults. It's called Headley Outsmarts the World. Headley, H-E-D-L-E-Y, Outsmarts the World. It's got 25 original watercolor paintings from the number one illustrator in England, believe it or not, and a story from the South that both adults and children can enjoy. You can catch it at Amazon.com. Headley Outsmarts the World. Once again, thanks again for listening, and I wish you'd tell just one friend about the fun we're having and the memories that we're creating. And I promise you that it's only going to get better and funnier. And I look forward to seeing you again next week on Southern Tales. <laughs>